thanks for that, Josh. And yeah, thanks for just uh, blessing us with those songs. Uh, I was just uh, reflecting, you know, as you were you were singing then, and uh, just thinking, wow, it's so true. Our God reigns forevermore, you know, and He will receive the praise and the glory and the honor, and He is right now, even in the midst of this pandemic in uh, coronavirus. It's interesting as well how that meshes together with what you were sharing, Steve, um, from uh, Hogan. Um, interesting uh, person. You wouldn't probably expect to have uh, quoted that a previous wrestler, but yeah, very fascinating how we just talked about so many aspects of society just being shut down and even churches being shut down. You can't meet, you know, but are we still giving worship and praise the Lord? Are we still glorifying God? Is a test kind of like Job, you know, when many things have been taken from us, you know, even our service, our gathering together, do we, you know, fall down in our praise and our adoration of the Lord in the midst of such circumstances. It's a good test for each of our hearts and something I encourage you just to meditate on uh, if you uh, have the time and space and feel that's a, uh, a need for you. But yeah, let's continue to give our God glory and praise. We're going to be uh, yeah, diving into this passage. Um, thanks, Asher, for reading it. Much appreciated. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. And uh, before I start off, I wanted to tell you about a time in my life, uh, it was a few years back now, um, but uh, I just joined a, a sort of a, a new uh, Christian community and I was a part of it. And um, while there, um, I started to notice uh, a girl, in fact, <laughs> as guys do, we notice girls. And uh, I took uh, an increasing notice in this girl and that notice grew and grew. <laughs> and then uh, it got to a point... Uh, where I started saying to God, Lord, should I do something about this? And uh, what began was a period of about, it was six months, I think for me, of just um, seeking God and saying, should I act on what I'm feeling, thinking, and maybe even believing for the future with this person? And uh, it was a, a period of six months. I, I remember I was um, testing my own motives, checking my heart. I was seeking God's will. I remember reading the scripture. Um, seeking counsel from other people, sharing where I was at and doing it in this concealed fashion, you know, uh, so that uh, the other person didn't uh, find out about it. And I was, it was quite a period of wrestling, but the real aim was, Lord, what is your will in this situation as, as I'm feeling attracted and there's a desire for marriage, you know, to this woman. And uh, what happened six months down the track, I didn't act on that until six months uh, down the track and, and came to a place where I felt, yeah, it's time to start moving in the direction of marriage. And so at that point, I asked uh, Dawny if she would like to start a relationship with me. And uh, we did. And uh, just this year, we've celebrated nine years of marriage. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. My wife is excited and so am I. Looking forward to the next nine, sweetie. <laughs> so um, I share that with you, though, because it's relevant to our passage, right? What I was doing there was probably the most intense period that I've ever been under. It was about six months of seeking God's will over a particular matter. Should I marry this person or not? And maybe you've been through a similar circumstance. Maybe when you were uh, before you got married to your wife or husband, you were also seeking God. Maybe you're wondering, maybe you're about to start a career or something like that or discern, Lord, should we go overseas or... or you know, step in this direction. What's your call? What's your will for my life? And, you know, there's periods of discernment and trying to seek the Lord's will, understand what he's speaking to you and to get that clarity. Um, and I want you to imagine, you know, you, you will have 
uh, have periods like that, you'll have periods in the future where you'll have to do that. And it's important to do to seek the Lord's will in uh, those sort of circumstances that we're confident that this is what God is wanting us to do. But I want you to imagine right for a moment in one of those circumstances where you have sought the Lord's will, or maybe one day you will, you know, about who you will marry or what career you have, if you've already done that. I want you to imagine for a moment that God revealed to you so clearly that it was as bright as day that you knew exactly what his will was, what he was calling you to do, whether it's to go overseas. I want you to imagine, right, that it's so clear to you. It's undeniable. You cannot doubt it in your spirit. Um, and you know, yes, God has called me, for example, to go and serve this group of people and to minister to them. How would you go about doing that? You know, when you get there, would you be passionate? Would you be involved in what's happening there? Of course you would. You'd be pouring out your be curious lord why is it you've so specifically called me here i want to fulfill the purpose that you've got for me in being here this would be what would be going on in your mind well i don't know if you noticed but there's two occasions in this passage that talk about one is about the will of god and one is about the call of god i'm just going to read them to you briefly verse three for this is the will of god your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality and then here in verse 7, Paul writes this, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. These two things, we know without a doubt, and they're one and the same. Holiness, um, it flows on, sanctification into sexual purity. These, this, these things, this we know, we can be sure of. This is God's will for you. This is God's call upon your life. Do you know that? someone might say to you, I've received a call to go to Africa or it's God's will that, you know, I move in this direction and do that. You can say to them, do you know what? I've received a holy calling from God. That sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? But it's the truth. And the question is, do you believe that? Have you received that in your heart? Have you received that teaching that that is God's will for you personally, for each one of us to be holy, to be sanctified, to be sexually pure and to walk upright in God. This, we can be sure, is God's will for you. And the, the question I want to put to you today is, do you go about fulfilling that will and that call that God has placed upon your life and that is clearly revealed through the scripture? Do you go about that with the same amount of passion as you go about pursuing um, you know, a career that you're convinced that God's wanting you to do or perhaps a mission or perhaps a you know, marrying a particular person, whatever it might be, you become convinced of doing something. Let me say, you should be even more convinced than all of those things that this is God's will and this is God's call for your life, holiness and purity. And this is a test for you, you know, do you believe that? Because if you believe it, it will produce fruit in your life. And this is exactly, you read the opening verses here, um, verse one and two of chapter four. Paul says this, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us. So he's talking when we were there for that three-week period, we taught you about this. As you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Paul makes reference to this earlier in chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, We exhorted you, each one of you, encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. You can see he's there talking about how they ought to walk and it is in a manner worthy of God that brings pleasure to God. He's saying here, and he's saying, just as you're doing, you're already doing that, which is great. 
But this is often the refrain that we hear throughout the book of Thessalonians. Continue to do so more and more, grow in it. And that, Ben, it's amazing just the way the whole service is weaving together. You know, I really appreciated uh, what you're saying in your kids' talk just about, you know, there is no kid-sized Holy Spirit. You know, like you get a kid-sized meal, you get a, a, a family-sized meal or whatever. It's just, there's only adult sizes. <laughs> and often we, we downplay the Holy Spirit. But you see, the Holy Spirit is working within us, exactly as Ben was teaching, to sanctify us, to bring about that holiness. And we each gave testimony today to that transition of how the Lord has done that work in our lives. For me, one of the points that I said was, I'm, I've seen and I know where I've been selfish and now I choose to serve. And each of you are testifying to different things, which was lovely. Praise God. But let's do so more and more. And I want, you to, want to encourage you as well. Uh, I was just aware coming out of last week, you know, there's more and more. You know, there's always, it always feels, oh, are we ever going to reach this? Is this, out of, is this goal ever attainable? And I want to encourage you, do not take the burden upon yourself. You'll try and achieve it out of your own strength, your own will, your own capacity. But you're going to need a greater, a more powerful will. You're going to need a greater strength. You're going to need a greater perseverance and endurance. And that's come from heaven down in Jesus Christ and is now brought alive by the Holy Spirit. If you want to do so more and more, rely on the Holy Spirit to produce that in you. It's going to be a natural fruit. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It will come out of you. But if you rely upon your own strength and your own self, you'll be weak, you'll be tired, you'll be weary. So when you hear the words more and more, get excited. <laughs> more reliance upon the Holy Spirit more seeking him and having his strength come out and produce the fruit that he's desiring from your life. And this is what Paul is saying. You've received this word from us already. How you ought to walk, to be pleasing to God, you're already doing it, but do so more and more. The same for us. We're already doing it. You know, I'm looking here on the chat again. We've gone from receiving to giving, lost to found, unfocused to focus, anxious to content, unlovable to loved. We're receiving, there's things happening, but do so more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit and it'll produce that fruit. He goes on here in verse two and Paul says, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. It's interesting how he puts in the words there, the Lord Jesus, which is depicting, it's capturing something that happened. It's not just an instruction that Paul gave, but Paul says it was through the Lord Jesus that it's the will of God, the will of the Lord, that this is how we are. And that's exactly what he goes on to say in verse 3 here. This is the will of your God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is, uh, I almost feel uh, like back in high school a bit, uh, uh, when uh, we started having sex ed, it's like, oh, this is one of those awkward topics that we have to talk about in church from time to time. Sexual immorality. <laughs> Maybe you're not feeling like that. But... It is important that we discuss this and we can talk about and have an open conversation because it is so crucial and it is so in God's heart because the implications of not walking in this way as we ought and is pleasing to God, they're significant. They're significant implications. But what is sexual immorality? How are we defining that? How do we know, yes, this is sexual immoral, this is not? A helpful way to define it is to know what is sexual morality. What is sexually good? What is sexually right and pleasing in the eyes of God? And a 
a great way to define this is just going back to the Garden of Eden and looking what happened there at the beginning of creation. You see there, Adam and Eve came together, one man, one woman, unified and to the exclusion of all others. That is sexual morality. In that, we have a definition then. Anything outside of that leads us to sexual immorality. And uh, the word here that's coming, apart, coming up a bit is holiness, right? So if you think about holiness, what do you think of? You might sometimes think of the word set apart, and that's a good way of thinking of holy. Something that is holy has been set apart for a holy use. I remember a preacher uh, once preaching, and he said, uh, I, was, I was listening, and he said, he, he pulled out his toothbrush, actually. He brought his toothbrush to church, and he said, this, brothers and sisters, is holy. And he had his toothbrush with him. Thought, I'd never thought of a holy toothbrush. But he said, it is set apart. You're not going to come into uh, where I live and use my toothbrush. You know, if you're staying in my house you, and I'll have you over dinner, you don't come and use my toothbrush. It's holy. It's set apart. I'm not letting you touch it. In the same way, your toothbrush is holy. <laughs> when you go, you know, and you've got to sit there and you share it with your husband, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, whoever. There's holy toothbrushes. Yours is holy and everyone else's is holy. <laughs> holy to Oliver. That's my toothbrush. And I don't touch my wife's because it's holy to Doiny. You get the picture. And that's one type of holiness, right? But then there's degrees of holiness. Let's say you use my toothbrush. I might be disappointed with you. I might be upset, but that's all right. If you use my wife, that's a whole nother degree of holiness. Do you see the difference there? And this is what happens in the Lord is that he is bringing us into a place of holiness to be set apart. And the severity and the implications of violating that holiness are very severe in this area of sexual immorality. I want to highlight as well, you can be sexually immoral in marriage and even before you're married. Even before you're married, you might not be in a committed relationship with someone. You might not be um, in a place like that. But if you are engaging in something that is sexually immoral outside of that unified um, relationship between a man and a woman, if you're engaging in something, the point in time when you do become married, you will have then violated that marriage previously. <laughs> You've done something outside of it. It happened. It might have happened before, but it still happened outside of that relationship. And I want to look here. I'm just going to read through verses 3 to 7. And have a look now at some of the contrast between the damage that sexual immorality causes and also the goodness that being sexually immoral, sexually right causes. So let me read to you verse 3 to 7. It says this, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. There's several things here that Paul draws out around the damage that sexual immorality causes. And one of the first ones here we see in verse six, he says, you know, it's almost a purpose 
let no one, I'm doing this, that no one transgress and wrong his brother or his sister. When we do something that is sexually immoral, again, outside of that relationship, we are damaging that marriage relationship. If we have it or if we don't, even if we never get married, we are still damaging other people around us, our own selves. Sexual immorality is a damaging thing and it wrongs someone else. It's a violation and it cuts very deeply. There's uh, in the Proverbs, it talks about a man and uh, he said, it says that um, you will never appease a man if you have taken his wife. You might try and give him gifts or all sorts of things, but even though your um, bribe essentially or your desire to appease him increases, you won't turn away his wrath. It cuts very deeply this area. It's very painful. And that's the way the Lord's designed it for it to be a very intimate part a very precious, sacred, holy, set-apart area of our lives, of, of who we are as people, our sexuality. I want to read to you as well from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. And in this passage, um, Paul's describing another area. He doesn't highlight here in Thessalonians, but it's very interesting what he says here. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It's actually doing damage to yourself. So every other sin, you know, you steal, you've taken something from someone, you know, you, um, you, you swear or you, um, you know, whatever it is. You can do all these other things that's going to cut and hurt other people and it's wrong. That's a violation against them. But when you're sexually immoral, you violate others and yourself at the same time. It's different to every other sin in that fashion. And the other thing that Paul writes here, which is a, a, yeah, it's a bit of a scary thing, but it's a reality. And that's why he says at the end, um, we give you this solemn warning. And it's a solemn thing to talk about because we need to treat holy things as they are, sacred and pure and when they're violated, there are big implications. And this is one of the implications that Paul says in verse 6, the, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Again, that proverb talks about the, the vengeance of a husband, you know. And the scripture says we should never take vengeance into our own hands, but leave it for the Lord. And Paul says specifically, God enters into this area of sexual immorality. and He takes vengeance. He is the one who is seeking to um, do justice and to work justice when there has been sexual immorality. And Paul says, I'm therefore warning you, <laughs> do not get on that side of the Lord because he will avenge exactly as needs to be done in justice, righteousness, and holiness. Not out of line, not over the top, but exactly as is fitting. He's a, a very fitting um, avenger, the Lord. And that's a, a thing that we need to be in fear of, to have a reverence about and care. Let's have a look then, contrasting this. Actually, I'll just share this one thing. I was in a, a um, church community years back before I was at the Vine. And uh, there was a, a situation there where there was quite a significant um, sexual um, immoral thing that happened and that uh, became known um, uh, the Lord um, brought it to the light um, in that community and it was very damaging. I remember um, afterwards, um, 
after it had been came, became known, I remember, uh, and I still have this picture uh, of this person in my mind who I can remember seeing and just such a broken person they were after their deeds had become exposed. And it, it just, the impact uh, was like um, um, an earthquake, just shaking the whole way through that community of believers. And it was hard. It was a difficult time. It hurt and it cut deeply. There's a sense of some people from betrayal, um, a lack of trust. Um, all of these things happened. It, it was very severe. And these were people who were not involved directly at all, but simply had relationship. So the consequences and the stakes are very high in this area. Hence, why it is very much on God's heart. But if you have a look at the goodness of sexual morality, being upright in our sexuality, you see here, verse 4, Paul writes about that. I want that each of you know how to control his own body. In Greek, it says there, how to possess his own vessel, how to be in possession of it, how to have the fruit of the spirit of self-control there and practice that. Because that's a helpful thing and it's a lovely thing. It's no good not having self-control. If you can't control yourself, you can't control much, can you? But when we have self-control and we can say, no, I'm not going to do that or I don't want to, I will deny it. Then we're able to see the fruit of God come in our lives. But when we don't have that self-control and even though we want to deny ourselves and we're unable to, then <laughs> it's like, uh, again, another proverb that comes to mind. Um, a man without self-control is like a city with its walls breaking down. You just, anything can come in then. And, and you're, you're very vulnerable without self-control. On the flip side as well, we don't wrong our brothers when we're sexually upright. We're actually building up, we're contributing through strong marriages, healthy families, through a, right, um, a sexuality expressed in the right way. The sexuality that is, is doing what God intended it. Um, to be a blessing, to be enriching, and to be holy and set apart. But you know what? The greatest thing about this is that in doing this, we're actually fulfilling God's will and God's call upon our lives. That it is his will that we are sanctified, that we are holy, and that we abstain from sexual immorality. God has called us not for impurity, but for holiness. And this is the difference. So I want to encourage you. We haven't got a lot more time to go into a lot of depth. We're, um, as you know, shortly about to have communion. But before we go there, Paul, Paul says, you know, we warned you solemnly. And I feel similarly. This is a, a, it's a solemn thing to talk about. We need to keep, um, uh, keep this in the forefront of our minds. Be aware of it. Because Satan would love to get in here and to divide, to destroy. And the Lord is wanting to come in here as well and to build up and to be um, purifying us even more so, more and more in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is important that we have this solemn warning because of what a warning does, it's like a fence. We can protect and guard with that warning more. You can still jump over the fence if you want, <laughs> but at least we're setting up a garden of protection. We're setting up from the Bible here a standard for us as a church community. And we're saying, this is what we're holding to. This is what we're believing. And this is what we're wanting to practice and put in place in our lives. And that is like a garden offense. And then with one another, you know, when we feel we might be slipping or we might be falling. And this could be in many areas outside of sexual morality. It could be in any area, anger, frustration, pride, you name it. 
but these things are standards. They're guards that we're raising up. And we're saying, this is a standard we're calling each other to and one another. And we're saying, we're simply seeking to rely on the Holy Spirit to fulfill this, not in our own strength. And then in that way, we build each other up and we fulfill God's will and his call. And Paul ends it here in verse 8. He says, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And it's a fascinating thing here that he's saying, you know, it's not just me saying this. This is actually through the Lord Jesus. And I feel the same thing. It's not just me saying this. It's not because I want to have a sexually immoral, you know, church community that I'm a part of. No, I actually believe that this is God's will and that this is God's standard. And to disregard this, I'm not concerned about you disregarding me. (laughs) That's not my concern for you. My concern is for you disregarding God to plainly hear what his will and his desire, his call upon your life and to disregard it. That's a difficult thing to do, especially as Paul says, when he's given you his Holy Spirit, that's grieving the Holy Spirit at that point in time. So it is important that there is this solemn warning that accompanies this. If you've got your elements there, we'll now uh, turn to communion to the Lord's table. And uh, I thought, you know, this is such a fitting way, actually, to end uh, this time of looking at uh, sexual immorality and God's desire, holiness, sanctification. Such a fitting way between these two things. Let me explain why. In this, whatever you have, (laughs) a juice, a wine, we have the blood of Christ represented. And I want you to know that if you have... ever done anything sexually immoral in your past even if it was yesterday this is a cup of blessing for you and for anyone who will receive it it is the blood of christ and the blood of christ has been shed to cover over every sin to cleanse us from all unrighteousness this is yours brothers and sisters in christ jesus did you see this it's a representation it is a blessing that is a uh, it has come down from heaven and has been given to you, shed, that you might have forgiveness of sins. Any sexual immorality, beware. You can doubt and you can say, oh, Lord, I I just feel still so much guilt over that that sexual sin or whatever it might have been. It can still come. Let me say this to you. You need to put your trust in the blood of Christ. You know, (laughs) we all know that the blood of Christ, it's not holding, the Lord doesn't say, oh, sexual immorality. Oh, no, we take it away for that but everything else is all right. Jesus never says that. The blood of Christ covers all sins. This is a covering for each one of you, everything that you have committed in this area against our Lord. On the flip side, we have here, whatever you have, a bread or wafer, the body of Christ represented. And this is important as well as we come to the Lord's table to uh, meditate on, because this brings us in reverence Whose body are you a part of? It is the body of Christ, the one who shed his blood. So being a part of his body, come in fear, in reverence, in a desire to honor, exactly as Paul was exhorting. You know, this is how you ought to walk and how to please God, the one who has given you his own body, that you can be a part of it. And being sexually immoral, it's, it's honoring the other parts of the body. It says, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one bread. 
And so right now we're about to share this bread together. We're many different parts, but we're one body in Christ. And it reverence and fear of God because of what he has done. It's fitting to be expressed in how we honor one another with our bodies, with our sexuality, and that we honor the Lord for what he has done. You can see that. I want to read um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 1, just before we take this. And uh, I'll read this and I'll give you a little bit of time just to meditate. And then what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll drink and uh, we'll eat together. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul writes this. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's spend a bit of time preparing our hearts, giving thanks to God for his blood, and then we'll have reverence as we partake of the body of Christ as well in this way. Let's spend a bit of time doing that now. Feel free to eat uh, your bread, wafer or whatever you have um, at your own pace now. And then uh, hold the cup and we'll drink that together shortly. If you have your cups there, we usually make the declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. And that's very fitting for us to do again today. He is our Saviour through the blood and he is our Lord represented through the body. So I'll declare that. You can declare it out loud at home as well, <laughs> but you'll only hear me. Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. Well, um, I'm now going to pass back to Stephen, who uh, uh, closes. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll head into the breakout rooms from there. Thanks, Stephen.